So you want to get your MBA and you've got a few questions. Well, we've got answers. Welcome to the MBA podcast, the spot for honest and actionable advice about business school. For more information, check out our site at thembapodcast.com. Now, here's your host, David O'Brien. Well, I didn't delete the intro episode like I said I would. It ended up including some decent sentiments applicable to the entire application process. Now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. Let's work on being good. Actually, let's do a little more formal introduction of who I am. My name's David, and as I mentioned earlier, I worked in the admissions department of a top-tier business school, one of the top three, to be exact. While it wouldn't be hard to figure out which school I worked for, I've decided not to disclose this information. This choice is a bit bittersweet, as I'm immensely proud of where I worked, and the directors at this particular school are... Without fail, amazing people who truly care about shaping the world's future business leaders. On the other hand, though, this is the bitter part of the sweep. I feel that the university wouldn't really appreciate someone giving away trade secrets. But to be clear, I'm going to be using some creative nonfiction techniques and changing names, places, so on and so forth. So I can give you a real and honest account of how you'll be evaluated. But I won't have a conflict of interest with the school. Additionally, some things I'm going to share with you were gleaned from my time reading applications, while others were from watching my wife apply to business school herself or chatting with her friends, lots of whom were successful MBA applicants. The perspective I'm sharing is drawn from a wide breadth of experience. So the first major point about me is that I know what schools are looking for because I did the looking. The second point, my wife is a Chicago Booth MBA. I worked in admissions long after she applied and got accepted to uh, Booth. But I wish I knew then what I knew now. It would have saved a lot of head and heartache. But that's what I hope to do for you. Pragmatically, though, this means the information and actionable items I share with you come from a lived experience. If I say something like, study as hard as you can for a month to take the GRE, I know that means zero free time, constant stress, crappy diet, like a social life, constant stress. Did I mention stress? That'll be constant. I also know what it means as a partner to watch your loved one apply to business school. And finally, I have an MFA in professional creative writing. While I may not be a great speaker, throwing humility to the wind, I'm a good writer. More importantly, I've worked on my teaching and coaching methodology from a very early point in my life. And I pride myself on making other people better people, which includes better writers. When I was in the Air Force and applying to be a red rope, which is a student leader, they asked what my mission was in life outside of the mission of the Air Force. And I responded that I wanted to see my life's work reflected in the success of others. I still believe that this is my life's work. I became a 100% total and permanently disabled veteran when I was only 24. All of the things I dreamed of doing with my life became quite literally impossible before I was even 25. Personal success is fleeting, but the success you cultivate in others has a comforting sort of permanence. And to be clear, this isn't a sob story. My wife and life are incredible, and I have nothing but gratitude for the things I've been given and for the U.S. military support. So much so that I find I feel an immense sense of obligation to pay it forward, hence this podcast. To sum it up, I know what B-schools are looking for. I know from the other side, the sacrifices required to get into a school like that. And you, you specifically, are now one of those people to whose success I've dedicated my life. Let's get to work. Here's what you can expect from this podcast series. Interviews with various candidates, from veterans to waitlisted candidates, and from as many schools as I can find. General high-level advice and sentiments like making your application an easy yes and answers to the most frequently asked questions about applying to business school. 
Speaking of FAQs, other than reading applications, I manage the prospective student experience at my program, which means I spent all day answering questions. While this isn't an exhaustive list, here's some topics we're going to cover. The return on investment of an MBA. What's a stretch school? What's a safety school? How do you even begin applying to business schools? Should you reapply after being denied? Is round two better than round three? What advice would I give to a non-traditional applicant or an older applicant? Is the GMAT better than the GRE? Should you pay for a consultant? Should you pay for test prep? What about letters of recommendation? Or should you visit a school? What about pre-networking, like adding alumni on LinkedIn? And what's the partner experience? How long should my resume be? One page. And what about the veteran experience? The list goes on. We have plenty to talk about. I'm also going to have some not so frequently asked questions, but questions you should ask. Uh, QYSAs, questions you should ask. It doesn't sound as good, but those questions should be things like, what's proper etiquette when visiting a school or talking with a current student? How do you ask an alumni for a referral? Uh, Reasons to not get an MBA and so on. Speaking of questions, I would like to know yours. While I'm going to answer as many as I can that I've been asked before, if you have something that I don't answer, our website is thembapodcast.com. Pretty easy to remember. And it'll have polls and places to submit questions that you still have after listening to the podcast. Additionally, I, of course, like I said, appreciate you listening to the whole thing, but feel free to reach out to me via the website if you need help deciding to hire a consultant or paying for test prep. There's an episode dedicated to these questions, but I want to mention it here as well. You can send me a quick summary of yourself and your max budget, and I'll do my best to recommend a test prep and consultancy within that budget. I also won't car salesman you, which is when you say you have a $20,000 budget for a car, the salesman brings you a $20,000 car. I have no incentive to spend all your money, so don't feel like you need to lowball the price. As a general sentiment, though, I don't think you need to pay for test prep or consultancy. There are caveats to this, but again, that's a nuanced conversation that kind of deserves its own episode. But let's piggyback off this idea of paying for test prep or consultancy and zoom out to a 30,000 foot view. Looking at the big picture, I'd like to share a sentiment with you or maybe a lens through which I want you to view this entire process. From thinking about an MBA to listening to this podcast to actually putting a deposit down on a school, here's the lens I want you to, to put on. Forgive the platitude here, but you need to know yourself. I cringe a bit when I say something so simple, so indulge me a bit here while I add some modifiers. A good friend of mine who will be a guest on this podcast, and for now let's call him T, is applying to MBA schools in round two of 2023. I've been working one-on-one with T during the process, and he gave me amazing feedback that he'll share with you in more detail, but I want to use it here as a quick way to understand what I mean by know yourself. As I discussed with you a second ago and um, a couple months ago with T, you don't need to pay for test prep. So what did T do? T paid for test prep. Why? Because he knows himself. He knows he needs accountability, routine, uh, so on and so forth to help study for the GMAT. He even needs the accountability of a sunk cost. The idea of, well, I spent this much money on a test prep service, so I better use it. Other people, let's say a hypothetical dude named Anti-T, knows he is annoyingly good at getting schedules and sticking to them. So he just uses Khan Academy's free GMAT test prep. Either and neither of these approaches is appropriate for you. And especially in this podcast format, I can't give you a blanket recommendation as to which one works best. As a general sentiment, of course, lean towards saving money. But do me a favor and work on knowing yourself in the following ways. 
then this will help us a ton when it comes to writing your essays. I want you to take an honest account of yourself and your academic background, not your GPA, but your actual didactic abilities. Let me use me as an example. I was a rather poor student in high school. This was mostly due to me being a very typical dude and only caring about uh, getting a girlfriend, being cool, and football. In college, I was an average student. I got a business undergraduate degree, and the first truly challenging course I took was accounting. I did okay in it, but not as good as I would have hoped. It was the first time I really worried I wasn't smart enough. Years later, and I'm in the Air Force training as an air traffic controller. Now, I was having health issues at the time, so it's hard to separate the circumstance from the result, but I aced air traffic, air traffic control school, but quickly started to fall behind when I went to my permanent duty station and trained as a real air traffic controller. To this day, I'm not entirely sure if I had the mind for air traffic control. And had I not been hospitalized and disabled with a randomly and very unfun autoimmune disease, I still may not have succeeded as an air traffic controller. Frustratingly, this was a case of my best effort just simply not being good enough. Later still, I started studying for a graduate degree in industrial organizational psychology. A few courses in, and I began my inferential statistics course. This did not go well. I passed the class with a B, but I put more effort into this class than I had put into any class ever before, and I barely got a B. I, I honestly think the teacher was just rewarding my effort of banging my head against the wall, not, not really a increase in intelligence. Anyway, a uh, change of heart later, and I start an MFA in creative writing. I easily aced every class and finally felt a sense of relief when, without false humility, I can say I just found something I was good at that I had a natural talent for and that my effort to reward ratio felt appropriate. I was good at writing, but when I worked hard, I got better. Writing, though, isn't something we often think of as a scientific endeavor, and I use that word lightly, scientific. Uh, or even that, like as a quasi athletic endeavor, I can, when it comes to athletics, I can practice sidesteps and ladder drills and zone drops and football, but can you practice writing the same way? Can you practice poetry the same way? And the answer is yes. I, I didn't know this until I stopped and took an honest account of the MFA program. And as much as I want to say that writing comes completely from a creative core deep within me that can't be quantified, that'd be a lie. As fluffy as poetry is, a regimented and structured practice of it improved it for me. All of this, though, is to say it took a long time, but I realized that even in my most creative endeavors, I benefited greatly from structure. Rigid structure can, at times, be generative, not restrictive. So would I use a test prep program, that's a mouthful, would I use a test prep program if I needed to take the GMAT or GRE? I would absolutely look at them. No, I, let me be more honest here. Yes, I would use one, or I'd want to use a test prep program, but would likely be overwhelmed with what program was after you sort through all the marketing BS and everything actually going to help me. In terms of learning style, I, I know I benefit from complex or abstract concepts being explained via analogy, then knowing the why, and then teaching the concept. So stick with me here. Uh, this is an example. So the teacher says, hey, restriction can be generative. And I say, can you say that in a different way? To which the teacher and the teacher replies, sometimes the rules placed upon us necessitate creative solutions. As Mitch Hedberg joked, the Pringles company is a pretty chill company because the day the tennis balls were supposed to arrive, a bunch of potatoes showed up. But they said, whatever, let's cut them up. And they put them in tubes. 
now we have Pringles chips. So let's fast forward and say later that evening after that that lecture, I'm at home and I, I do this often. I try and teach myself a concept I learned. So I'm trying to teach myself this idea of restriction being generative. And I decide to write a sestina. And a sestina is a very restrictive, uh, prescriptive poem. It's got, you have six words and they repeat themselves over and over and over again. And they have to end all the sentences. So it gets a bit funky. You can pick a word that you think works really well and then having to come up with a sentence for it six times in a row, it's difficult. Anyway, so let's say I do that and I practice a couple of sestinas. I'm not saying that the whole poem is going to be gold, but there might be like a glint or two of a nugget in there somewhere. So at times, restriction can be generative. But let's bring this back to the MBA. And yes, this entire episode is loosely outlined around the whole idea I just gave you giving you the abstract and rather useless idea of knowing yourself, giving you an analogy, my own story, and then here comes the teaching part. I'll teach by giving you action items, since we can't really do a live Q&A or anything in this medium. First, do what you need to do to be in a good and comfortable headspace, what uh, Winnicott called the holding environment. I think well on walks and in the shower. So I'd go shower or go on a walk or one after the other if I needed to do the following, which is what I want you to do. By the way, dry erase markers are awesome in the shower. I know that's weird. We have a glass door in our shower. I, I write on it to take notes sometimes. It's definitely an odd habit, but who cares? The only person judging me there is myself. Uh, my wife thinks it's a good idea and funny. So do, do what you need to do to uh, get in a good headspace. But do that good headspace and get into that good headspace to do the following. Without bias or self-judgment or false humility, what are you good at academically? What classes did you excel at? What would you say were some of the reasons you excelled? Was it the teaching style or was it the subject, the accountability that you were held to, some combination of it, whatever it may be. Now, how can you recreate that within the context of applying to a business school? Start jotting down a few ideas. You're not, you're not committing to anything. Just get stuff out of your head and onto the page. It's, it's a better place to keep stuff is on the page. Don't, don't go overboard here, right? Spend 15, maybe 10, 15 minutes on this at most. And next, this is, this is cheesy, but just do it. It's the five whys. Uh, here's an example. The first why, why do you want an MBA? Uh, to make money. Why? To provide financial security for me and my future family. Why? I, I grew up seeing the stress of financial instability and don't want to repeat the cycle. Why? Uh, okay, this is getting a bit deeper. Um, because I want, I want my present day decisions to lay the foundation for a firm financial future. And then, uh, yeah, one more why. So this is the fifth why. Well, because I think especially us Western civilizations, we heavily identify with what we do for a living and what I, I want what I do to matter to the people that I work with, that I work for and that work for me. And I want what I do to matter to my family because it provides a safe and nurturing environment for them. Okay. So hopefully what you saw there that those last couple of answers, they were weird and kind of difficult to get to, but they'd actually make some decent essay topics. Let's be clear though, that there isn't some magic with the number five. Sometimes your useful nugget comes on the third why. Sometimes it doesn't come at all. And sometimes the question is painfully self-evident and doesn't even benefit from two whys. The point though is to make yourself go through the process, even if it's silly, right? Don't take yourself that seriously. Let yourself be silly ask yourself why five times and see what happens. Of course, go further with it if you feel like there's more to mine there, but really 
really simple exercise there that actually um, is kind of insultingly effective. We've got a few more things to go over here. Let's reset a bit. Uh, I'll tell you a joke. Let me do a dad joke. Uh, what do you call a fish with no eyes? A fish. I can't wait to be a dad. Anyway, we're, we're covering general sentiments and a lens through which to view your MBA application. This is the final little tidbit here. It's tempting to think of this process like climbing a mountain with the peak being an acceptance letter, and that's fine, but let's flip it. In this analogy, your history and application is the mountain. You're a tour guide driving a bus, and the passengers are admissions directors. So your application is the mountain. You're a tour guide driving a bus, and the admissions directors are passengers in your bus. We want the mountain, the application, to be as smooth and beautiful as possible with ideally a clear and direct line to the top. This means that downhill sections need to be addressed. Make sure there's a pretty waterfall or a great expanse of view or something pleasant to make the downhill portions of the journey an unskippable part. This translates to, let's say, a, a low GMAT score. Your directors or your passengers are going to see this. They're going to feel that it's a decline. No matter how much you pretty it up, they're going to know they're going downhill. But the beautiful view you provide is accomplished, let's say, in the optional essay. You have a great story about why, as is often the case, you weren't exactly chomping at the academic bit when you were a 19-year-old kid and how you wouldn't trade your undergrad experience, low GPA and all, for anything because it made you who you are today and helped shape your present-day respect for academic rigor and success. That's a pretty nice ride, if I do say so. Our goal with your application is to make the trip to the top as easy as possible for the directors. While the journey to the directors may come across as polished, practiced, elegant, even excellent, you and I know it's because you spent a lot of time and effort getting to know yourself and working on every aspect of the application. Let me repeat that, working on every aspect of the application from a holistic, big picture view not becoming obsessed or bogged down with raising your GMAT by 10 points. And on that note, that'll be it for this episode. Thanks for hanging out with me and listening. Most of the following episodes will be much more concrete and actionable, but I really appreciate you taking this all in because starting with the right perspective will save a ton of time and heartache in the future. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk soon.